Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Non-essential businesses in New Zealand must now close. All bars, restaurants, cafes, cinemas, pools, museums, libraries, playgrounds, any other place where the public congregate must close their face-to-face function. All indoor and outdoor events cannot proceed. In short, We are all now preparing as a nation to go into self-isolation. These decisions will place the most significant restrictions on New Zealanders' movements in modern history. Tēnā koutou katoa, ko Emma Jean Takawingwa. I'm Dr Emma Jean Kelly, an audiovisual historian with Manatū Taonga, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage. And this is Kato Tuitamiru, Inside the Bubble. As lockdown loomed and you gathered your whānau, your supplies, your nerves, we corralled a team of oral historians, grappled with technology and digitally found our way into 25 unique New Zealand bubbles to capture your Aotearoa as you made history. It was a journey all five million of us made collectively as we prepared. And so my sister went crazy and bought so much cans and she became the panic shopper. And I became the wingman to the panic shopper. We cared. I'm working part-time nursing. The first two weeks Mm. was very scary because we didn't know what was going to happen within the hospital. And we moved. Particularly... Going on lots of government-mandated walks outside. And... I see a lot of older people, people who look to be in their 70s and 80s, who I don't think you would normally see out on bikes. And we learned... Uh, And I tried to learn guitar. I learned three songs during the quarantine. And we have four guitars in the hostel, so that was a perfect opportunity. We kept the homeschool thing happening. We made marshmallow putty and we did painting and uh, we exploded volcanoes. And even though we couldn't be together, we connected. I'm encouraged by the goodness of humans. I think there are the silver linings of connection and us seeing the best that we can be and caring for ourselves and our neighbours. And now we remember In this episode, we'll look back at how we prepared. On the 31st of December 2019, much of New Zealand was living in that nowhere time between Christmas and New Year. You know that time? 
when you can't really remember what day it is, where the days seem to roll together, remember how over that new year, the haze from the Australian bushfires turned the sun red? But as we were doom-scrolling the news of our burning neighbour, before we knew doom-scrolled was even a word, another, more distant concern was lingering lower in the news bulletins. A cluster of cases of a pneumonia-like illness in the city of Wuhan, China, were reported by the World Health Organization. And then... China is scaling up its efforts to contain a deadly new virus as millions of Chinese prepare to travel at home and overseas for the Lunar New Year holiday. Six people have died in the central Chinese city of Wuhan from the new type of coronavirus and the number of people infected has jumped to more than 300. The World Health Organization is warning more cases of the virus should be expected in other parts of China and possibly other countries in coming days. We didn't know it, has put but 2020 was going to be a year like no other. But hey, as ominous as that New Year red sun was, on we plodded with our lives, packing away the Christmas decorations, for the most part blithely unaware that what was spreading in China would soon arrive here and change everything. On the 28th of February, supermarkets filled and the toilet paper aisles emptied when our Ministry of Health announced that a pneumonia-like illness, now identified as a coronavirus, was here. So, uh, as you all know, uh, late this afternoon around 4.15, we were formally informed about this COVID-19 test result from a person in their 60s. What had seemed like a problem just for China or other distant places was now ours to deal with too. The rush of people frantically buying toilet paper was, perhaps, a symbol of the collective loosening of our bowels as fear began to rise inside us. On the 4th of March, another case. On the 5th, another. Then a crash course in the realities of exponential curves, with us unable to take our foot off the accelerator as we headed into the unknown of how we, Aotearoa, would take this on. The anticipation of what was to come seemed to both make time drag and speed up as more and more upsets to normal life came at us. And then... On March the 18th, we pulled up the drawbridge. For the first time in history, if you weren't a New Zealand citizen or permanent resident, the borders were closed. We were now one bubble of five million. And then, three days later... I'm speaking directly to all New Zealanders today to give you as much certainty and clarity as we can as we fight COVID-19. Over the past few weeks, the world has changed, and it has changed very quickly. In February, it would have seemed unimaginable to close New Zealand's borders to the world. And now it has been an Do you remember that Saturday afternoon? What were you doing? This is because I was at home with my husband Jay, thinking about going for a bike ride when the Prime Minister appeared on our TV, flanked by two New Zealand flags. It looked serious. We have moved to fight by going hard and going early. We knew this might be coming, but it was still hard to believe as she delivered the news to the nation that we would need to prepare to disperse into our separate bubbles for the foreseeable future and begin living our lives in levels. ...as possible. What you can expect 
as we continue to fight the virus. When I look back at that time, just over a year ago, everything felt pretty surreal, sort of novel, and for an historian like me, kind of exciting in an odd way. What did all of this really mean? I'd recently been teaching students about the 1918 flu pandemic, and it was my only term of reference for the current situation. Back then, children in central Wellington were said to have run out on the streets to tell strangers their parents wouldn't wake up. They died in the night, and their children were now left to fend for themselves. Horrifying, eh? That wasn't a story I wanted to see repeated in Aotearoa. I can also remember, as I was listening to the announcement, feeling worried for my father. He's over 80 and lives alone in another city. Some of the reports we were hearing from around the world about older people being more susceptible to COVID were starting to filter through. So our family started talking to each other to work out a plan to make sure Dad would be okay. This is a COVID-19 announcement. I'm announcing an alert system for COVID-19. There are four levels to the alert system. At each level, there are things we need you to do to keep you safe. And there are things the government will do too. Alert level one is where COVID-19 is here, but contained. In this phase, we prepare. And we did. In the days before lockdown, I remember having a sort of frenzied need to prepare and get others around me ready too. Because we live in a small 47 square metre apartment and there are 60 other apartments in our complex, I was worried about what it would be like to be inside for a long period of time. Would I be able to visit our community garden where I'd only just started growing veggies? How would we manage the lift and the stairwells with dozens of people coming and going? I asked the body corporate if we could have hand sanitizer dispensers by the lifts, but by then it was already getting difficult to get hold of industrial amounts of sanitizer. My friend Mary and I went and bought gin to turn into homemade hand sanitizer. I set up soap stations by the taps around our buildings to encourage people to wash their hands before coming in, and home styled a hand sanitizer dispenser beside the lifts in the foyer. And for those of you with a deep knowledge of hand sanitizer production, we didn't know it at the time, but yep, it turns out there isn't enough alcohol and gin to be effective. I kind of wish I'd listened more in my school science classes. What a waste of gin. Next on my prepper's to-do list was buying a radio just in case something went wrong with the internet. I don't even know why we thought this. In my last days of commuting into work, I heard people on the bus talking about getting cash out in case the banking system failed. I'm normally that chatty person on the bus, but I found myself looking wearily at others, hoping they wouldn't sit near me or try to talk to me. Remember that feeling of rising anxiety as lockdown loomed? Would your job or business survive? How would you cope? The first week um, was pretty much chaos. For my work in way, it was chaos because... That's Jackie. She's a nurse. She knew her job was safe, but the safety of her health and her life was much less certain. There was so much stress and panic and nobody knew what was going and nobody seemed... There didn't seem to be a plan. There was no preparation. And She's one of thousands of health workers who were prepared to put their own lives on the line to do their job and save others. She's also one of the 25 New Zealanders who let us record an oral history of her lockdown experience so we and future generations can remember, or find out, 
what it was like living through lockdown? It was like, I think I felt in the whole country in a way, I sort of felt like there was this great big tsunami was about to hit. And, but no one knew when it was going to hit and how big it was going to be and in what direction to run. While many of us worried about how we would handle being stuck at home, for Jackie, the worry was that she had to leave hers, potentially exposing her husband and two sons to the virus every time she returned. We all knew that our bubble wasn't really a closed bubble. The people I was working with were obviously included in my bubble. In reality, it was a very extended bubble. brought its challenges. Just imagine what that must have been like at the time going into a hospital or treating patients when most of us were safely at home, avoiding other people and, in my case, indulging my inner germaphobe, pasting on that useless gin hand sanitizer. Part of Jackie's job also involved nursing patients in their own homes during lockdown, so figuring out how to do this safely took a heap of planning. Definitely an effort to begin with in setting it up, and every time you saw them you had to phone them or visit them you at the door and you have to, you know, make sure, ask the questions if they've had any any contacts with anybody overseas or anyone that's been unwell. You have to revisit those questions all the time. Um, and we all put on uh, PPE, but not the full. There's no. so many different versions of PPE. If um, they hadn't had contacts, we still wore just a surgical mask and a plastic apron just to protect them and protect us. The plan was never static, though, and Jackie and her colleagues just had to roll with it. I know that was a little bit learn as you go, sorted as you go. There was definitely a lot of stress and work it out as you went along. Mixed messages about the PPE. Uh, first, we did have to wear it, and then we didn't have to wear it. And then we knew that, actually, if the patient or the client had no contact, then theoretically we didn't have to wear masks but we all elected to wear them anyway. You know, according to the World Health Organization, we didn't have to wear them. You know, we felt safe and we felt safe for our patients to be wearing them anyway. So we we elected to to still wear the masks, even though the World Health Organization said we didn't have to. Eventually, as the hospital systems were organized and reorganized, Jackie felt less like she was trying to outrun that tsunami. As the time went along and there came a little bit more of a plan and a little bit more of knowing what to expect and a little bit of preparedness, um, that brought along a calmness too. So my name is Angelique Rosemary Tuputa. I am born and raised in Ranui, Auckland, and both of my parents are from the Cook Islands. And now the house that we're currently in is a house that we've had for 26 years, which is the amount of years I've been born. So when I was born, they bought this house. So still have it today, and um, it's been part of my bubble. So in my bubble, it's a very small one. It's um, my dad and my sister. Um, and myself, we live in a three-bedroom home that we own, and it's a cosy, it's a comfy place for us um, to be in. Everyone has their own room, their own space. And Angelique, who works as a Pacifica specialist librarian in Auckland, was initially in denial about going into lockdown. Um, I was away with the fairies because <laughs> I didn't 
know what I was gonna do during that time but my sister was very focused out of the both of us and I remember I was getting paid I think the Wednesday before lockdown um I was getting paid the day and all I could think about and all I could really focus on was I need to go shop I need to go and buy things for the house and that happened to be our shopping week and I get paid fortnightly so I always look forward to pay weekend payday um, like everyone else does but my sister had a plan she had written this plan down and shared this plan with me and I think both of our minds were, she was expecting lockdown, I wasn't. I was like, nope, this is just going to be temporary, we're going to go, I'm going to go back to work after two weeks, it's going to be all fine. Um, and Meanwhile, Angelique's younger sister Florence went into full prepper mode. She already had it in her mind, no, we need to start preparing, and she became the panic shopper. And I became the wingman to the panic shopper. So when the news came out, those last 48 hours was a big blur and a big rush, but I remember going to four different places to buy all our essential items. We went to two supermarkets, one veggie shop, the warehouse, and we got everything from blankets to comfy, um, just comfy clothes just to wear during lockdown, like pyjamas, um, and... I remember when we went shopping, we took our dad with us and we had this plan that this person would grab this stuff and I felt like I was an Armageddon because like, I felt like we were just going to grab all of this stuff and then just stock it in our homes. And um, one thing I remember my dad telling me was, um, because he's very religious and he, with, with my church we always have this system called a welfare system where you should always have... Um, something stopped, you should always have good stocked up um, regardless of the situation you're in to prepare yourself for these times. And I remember him saying to me in the shop, that's why you need to have a welfare. And so my sister went crazy and bought so much cans and she started the welfare. We actually have the welfare now um, outside in the shed. And I remember we were just having a list of things that we were just going to buy, even though there was three of us in the home. The goal was to buy enough so that we could limit our time going out. And it worked for us. So every two weeks we shopped. And we bought a lot of comfort food. We bought a lot of um, food depending on what everyone's tastes were. Um, my sister likes things with a lot of veggies and stuff like that. My dad loves a lot of meat and I like a lot of both. So I became the balance between both of them because not only were they panic shopping for food, they were trying to discuss what... They wanted to eat and couldn't agree on things. So that time was, it was very, uh, full speed, it was a blur, but it was very um, exciting and strange at the same time to see how people could react to um, certain situations that were not normal to them. Um, and I also remember gas prices falling down really quickly and us just filling up, you know, our car, um, extra gas bottles, you know. Um, I remember checking up on my friends and family during that time just to see if they needed anything. I'm Dr Imogene Kelly, and you're listening to Keiro Tui Tamiru, Inside the Bubble, a collection of oral histories recorded during the 2020 nationwide COVID-19 lockdown. For some, 
the warning signs of a pandemic started to appear much sooner. All right, uh, Vinaka. My name is Albert Edgar Trail. So I'm a uh, cabin crew with the short haul operations of Air New Zealand. Uh, and yeah, we fly to all major Australian ports, all of the Pacific Islands, as well as our domestic sectors. As an airline worker, Albert knew the virus had the potential for disaster and could see he and his family needed to get ready. So yeah, definitely flashback to other previous world pandemics, yeah, the influenza, uh, the flu epidemic, um, and so forth. So yeah, definitely, we definitely felt it. And then his hours at work began getting reduced and he and his wife had to start making plans to survive. I could see it with my workplace as well, um, a massive international airline shrinking down to just domestic flights only. Um, thousands and thousands of people who normally traverse through our airports just complete standstill. I think um, the first response was, wow, the the heaviness and the gravity of the situation, or let's say the seriousness of the situation, fully set in when we heard the words of the Prime Minister say, we are going to lock down the country. So Albert prepared to hunker down with his family in West Auckland. And in my bubble is my wife, Tekura Trail, who is from the Cook Islands, and our three children, Nalani, Jacob and Kamaya. Uh, and we took all those necessary steps to prepare for it as well. But despite all the early knowledge he had and provisions to last, Albert still wasn't above joining in the panic. Uh, though we had already a fully stocked uh, uh, emergency service, uh, emergency supply, uh, 72-hour kit, so forth, and food supply, uh, to really be honest, um, we did join in the queues to go for that mad rush of shopping, not in the sense that we wanted to stockpile and so forth like most of the people, but we were worried in the sense that everything would run out. And I think that's what drove many people to join those queues um, was the worry of um, things running out. And of course, the ramifications for all of that was, how on earth is this going to work with uh, com- a complete shutdown across everything with schooling, work, um, social gatherings and so forth. Um, Huge, huge impact. And maybe he did let himself get just a little bit carried away with the idea that we might be heading into some kind of cinematic dystopian future. You know, I think our generation, our time, uh, we watch too many movies. And for me, the first movie that came into my mind was... um, uh, what's this, uh, The Purge. But I tell you what, the anticipation of what the heck is going to happen, it was pretty much near the same. And believe it or not, we thought we would be sound asleep at 11.59pm on the deadline before lockdown began. But guess what, we were all awake watching uh, TV and so forth and movies, and I actually contemplated saying to my wife, Tekura, um, hey, why don't I put out the big Bluetooth speaker in the big in the backyard and crank it up to its loudest capacity and play the perch siren at midnight? <laughs> 
Albert's talking there about the cult American horror TV series and film where people are allowed to commit crimes for a 12-hour period after they hear that creepy siren. It became a bit of a thing on the internet with people encouraging one another to take to the streets with speakers and play it as lockdown began. It's strange now looking back on what it was like preparing to head into the lockdown. That precise deadline. Down to the minute. 11.59 on the 25th of March, 2020. It was only a year ago, and we're by no means out of the woods yet. But hearing those heavy-hearted announcements from the Prime Minister again made me feel a little emotional. Remembering that worrying time, not knowing how or if we would get through. Angelique Tuapata never wants to forget the effect preparing for the unknown of lockdown had on her. But those 48 hours, that was... I actually started a journal because of that 48 hours, because I just wanted to write this down. And I hate writing stuff down, so... That 48 hours actually changed my perspective on humanity and how people react to anxious situations and panic. And it kind of made me reflect on myself and my family and making sure that we should always be prepared. I'm Dr Emma Jean Kelly and that was We Prepared, our first episode for Kairoto Itamiru, Inside the Bubble. The series was written and executive produced by Teresa Cowie. Sound was designed and woven by Anaru Dalziel. Our production coordinator was Georgie Keyes. And the music was by Stephen Payton. The Lockdown Oral Histories you heard in this episode were recorded by Tuara Tini and Debbie Dunsford. Our thanks to Manatu Taonga, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, Auckland Libraries, especially Sue Berman, RNZ for the News Archive, and of course to those who shared their bubble with us, Angelique Tuapata, Albert Trail and Jackie. Nga mihi nui kia koutou. Listen out for the rest of their stories in the upcoming episodes. Speaking of which, in the next episode, we'll look back at how together alone we cared and we'll hear how wahine toa Titi Huya Kilin took in whānau during lockdown, caring for a massive bubble of 13. I mean, it was really hard. Um, and I'll tell you something, um, the police actually came over and they were like, oh, you know, you got too much people here. And I was like, yeah, yes. I understand. But I told yes. them the situation, you know? Yes. And I was like, yeah, because would you rather these kids look after themselves Join me for the next episode to hear more of Titi Huya's remarkable story. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 